your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter number 7 and in the Bible this morning, Matthew 7, when you find your place, we'll stand in honor of God's Word today. I told uh, one of the ladies who's a teacher, I said, the teacher's prayers outbeat the preachers, because preachers always, they never pray for snow on Sunday mornings, but the teachers are longing for a snow day, so... <laughs> They said, we haven't got one all year yet. And uh, I said, well, you must have prayed. I forgot to pray about no snow, you know. But Matthew 7, verse 13 through 23. Our Lord says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. If you read verse 20 with me, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and to it we run today with our hearts and our minds, longing for heaven's truth. Lord, we need in this day that we live truth in a world filled with lies and deception and deceit. I thank you for the faithfulness of your people, both in the early and the second service. Thank you for those that are watching online. I pray that Your word would be mighty today, Lord. I pray that it would give clarity, that it would remove any deceptions, that it would protect us. Your truth sanctifies, but it also guards us from that which is most damaging, which is error. And we pray that Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, would be exalted in this service. And we ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Man, you may be seated this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached in the history of mankind. And verse 13 through 27 are the conclusion to the greatest sermon ever preached. And this is also the greatest conclusion that's ever been given. As we saw last Sunday, Jesus transitions into this conclusion with the clear reality that there's only one of two pathways that you and I can be on. We can be in one of two gates. There is a wide entry and there is a narrow entry. There's two different gates and doors you can go into. He said there's only two pathways. You can go down the broad path and the narrow path. He talked about two crowds, a multitude of people, and then one that has very few. And then he says there are two outcomes, eternal life or eternal destruction. Jesus concludes in Matthew 25, 46, this same reality when he said, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Jesus taught there is one of two paths that you are on. Everyone here today is on one of those two paths. Either you will spend forever in the paradise of God in heaven, or you will be separated from God forever in what Jesus calls hell. You say, why would anyone go on the broad path to hell? Well, Jesus tells us here, as we saw last week, its entry is broad. It's easy to go in. There's no narrow views of heaven here. All views are welcome. Its pathway is wide, it accommodates you. Whatever you want to do on this path, you're welcome to do. It is tolerant of all things. There is no talk of repentance of sin, living a holy life, no talk of fearing God. It's also highly populated. Jesus said there's many on this path, and population turns into a popularity, and so people think there's no way uh, this path could be the wrong path because it's so highly populated. Also, this path doesn't say way to hell. Rather, the pathway says way to heaven. This is telling people that they're going to heaven, but in fact, they are leading them to hell. Then when you compare this to the only other option you have is the narrow way. And this is a difficult entry. 
You must believe that Jesus Christ alone is the way of salvation. That there is now salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. It also has a pathway that is hard. It includes denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Christ. And it's not highly populated. This path has few on it. In fact, it's so so few that Jesus was asked the question in Luke 13, 23, are there few that be saved? Lord, are there few that be saved? To which Jesus responded and said, strive to enter at the straight or the narrow gate for many I say unto you will seek to enter and shall not be able. Jesus didn't teach it's easy to be saved. He taught it's hard to be saved. People say, well, oh, it's easy to be saved. What's easy about repenting of your sin, mourning of your sin? What's easy about surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? What's easy about that? When you're saved, it's not as hard. But before you're saved, that is, that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Jesus preached that we must strive to enter. The word strive is a Greek word agonize, agonizomites, where we get the word agonize from. It's difficult to do. Hebrews 4.11 even highlights this. It says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall, uh, fall after the same example of unbelief. There is a labor to enter into that rest. You don't work for your salvation, obviously, but it is a labor to come to that humble place of repentance. Jonathan Edwards said that he spent 18 months agonizing over his sin. 18 months agonizing over his own sinfulness before he was surrendered to Christ. If those obstacles were not enough, our Lord highlights in verse 15 through 20, that there would also be preachers on the broad path at the entry points, inviting people to enter into the broad path, letting them think that that's the pathway to heaven. How incredible that at the conclusion of our Lord's sermon, after He gives a command to enter into the narrow gate and says to avoid the broad gate that leads to hell, that He immediately transitions into a warning about false prophets. Jesus felt it was such a danger, such a, such a level of threat, that it is the first thing that He speaks of after He speaks about how to get to heaven. He spends two verses telling us, Enter into the narrow gate and avoid the broad path. And then he goes from verse 15 to 20 to avoid false teachers. And then he gets into verse 21 through 23. Avoid false professions as we'll see next time. And so today I want to look at what our Lord speaks of about false prophets. We're going to see their reality, their danger, how they disguise themselves and how to test a true and false prophet. How to know. So let's look first of all at the reality and danger of the false prophet. Before we can speak of what a false prophet is, it would be good to know what a true prophet is, right? Now the word prophet, it's one who spoke on behalf of God to the people. The difference between a prophet and priest is this. A priest went to the people on behalf of God, where a prophet went to God on behalf of the people. The word prophecy means to speak forth, to proclaim these were spokesmen for God. They stood before God's people and they declared the word of God. God used the prophets to reveal his word. This is how the Old Testament was written. And the New Testament as well through his prophets. They were in the Old Testament the thus saith the Lord men. The Holy Spirit gave them the word of God. In Amos 3.7 it says, He revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. Hebrews 1.1 puts it this way, God who at sundry or different times and in diverse or different manners spake in times past unto the fathers, how? By the prophets. Now in the New Testament, the term prophet speaks of those who are simply declaring the already revealed word of God. This isn't speaking new information or future things. When the New Testament uses the word prophet, it's speaking primarily of those who are declaring, speaking forth, because that's what prophecy, uh, prophet means, a declaration, a speaking forth. They're declaring the already revealed word of God. So what is a false prophet? What is a false prophet? It's the Greek word pseudo-prophetes. Pseudo-prophetes. Pseudo means false, fake, or counter. 
and a prophet, a false, fake, counterfeit prophet. These are those who said they spoke on behalf of God, but they actually did not. They pretended to be preachers of the Word of God, but they were really preachers of their own hearts. Listen to how God defines them in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. God says, I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. They said they spoke for God. You would have trusted that they were of God, but they were actually not of God. Jeremiah 23, 21, God says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. This this is all through the Old Testament. I could give you dozens of passages on this. Now, what is the danger of false prophets? Jesus says here in verse 15, beware of false prophets. The word beware is a word that means to give your mind's attention to something so that you can guard against it. It's also in the present tense, which means... Uh, in the present imperative, which it's something that you are to continually do. So give your mind's attention to this, continually be on guard for this, and do it all the time. Like constantly be on guard. And the reason you have to constantly be on guard is because the deceivers are constantly out there. They never stop. They continue to, to herald their false teachings. Jesus warned of false preachers and prophets in Matthew 7 here in Matthew 24 verse 4 and 5 speaking about the end times he says many he said unto them take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ shall deceive many Matthew 24 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many Paul warned of false prophets this was Paul's warning when he left the church at Ephesus after being there for three years in Acts chapter 20 He said, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And he was greatly concerned about that. And that's why I say if a pastor ever leaves a church, they should never leave until they had somebody to replace them. Because there's sometimes a pastor will leave and and it leaves a void. And maybe you've been a part of a church like that where the pastor went and took another church and they felt God leading them there. And then there's... There's no pastor there for six months, a year, two years. And I've seen churches go through that and struggle and be diminished. And I believe if God calls a pastor away, then he's going to have a pastor there. Amen. Because Paul said, I know that after my departing, grievous wolves would come in among you. Peter warned of false prophets. Second Peter is the last letter Peter wrote before his death. He's sitting in a prison cell knowing his life will soon be ended. Last words are important. These are the last three chapters that he will ever write. He will be crucified soon. This is his final analysis. And when you come to the final analysis of your life, you you say the things that really matter. You, You speak what is really important. He spends the first chapter of these three, this three short three chapter epistle. And in the first chapter, he writes about the importance of building your life on the Word of God, not on experience, but on the Word of God. The Word of God supersedes everything. Then he gets into chapter 2, and he spends the entire chapter warning against false prophets. An entire chapter. And then he transitions into chapter 3 and speaks about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was such a big deal in Peter's life that while he is at the end of his life, he, he warns them for a third of the last book that he wrote about false preachers and teachers and prophets. He says in 2 Peter chapter 2, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who will privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the faith, uh, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, why are, there, why are false prophets so dangerous? Why, why are they such a danger? Why does Jesus say beware of them? Well, because of what they misrepresent. It's because of what they're distorting. There's nothing more valuable to us than the truth, right? You believe that this morning? 
There's not, what is sitting in your lap, what you're reading on the screen, that is the most valuable thing in eternity. It's the truth. This is the Word of God, and, and it's the most valuable thing because the truth is from God. It is ultimate reality. Jesus came as the way, the truth, and the life. He came bringing the truth. He came saying, the words that I speak unto you, they are truth. And He came and said, if you don't believe me, you will be separated from God forever. Since truth is the greatest of all things that we have, there is nothing that Satan would want to corrupt more than the truth. Is it any wonder that when Satan first shows up in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 3, the first things off of his mouth are the words, Yea, hath God said... That is actually the first recorded question in human history. Everything up to that point was a statement of fact, statement of reality, definitives. Get to chapter 3, Satan shows up. Yea, hath God said. The first thing he does is begin to cause questions towards the Word of God and seeking to utter doubt. One of Satan's greatest ploys to do this, to deceive people and cause doubt on the Word of God, is through religion. You need to know that there is nothing that has sentenced more people to hell that has deceived more people than religion. Religion is Satan's greatest tool to send people to hell. How much error does it take to make something true turn into something false? And do you know the closer a religion is to the truth, the more dangerous it is? When, when, when they created rat poison... They, they realize that we have to get it as close to being real food for them and mix just enough poison in to destroy them. So they found that they can turn it 99.9% food and they only need 0.1% poison. And it has become effective. You think Satan doesn't know this? You know Satan's very comfortable talking about Jesus. He's real comfortable coming to church. He's real comfortable listening to the conversations. I mean, the first thing he said, Yea, hath God said. The third word off of his lips was God. When he came to Jesus, he came to Jesus in Matthew 4, even quoting Scripture to Jesus. He's a deceiver, isn't he? Jesus calls them false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. They look the part. They have their religious garb on. They even speak as though God sent them. They sound so right. And Jesus said of them in Luke eleven fifty two, 52, Woe unto you lawyers. These are religious leaders among the people that were copious of the law. He said, For ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves. And them that were entering in ye hindered. They were going in the narrow way. And you pointed them to the broad path. Matthew 23, 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. These were the leading religious people of the day. They believed in the right God, even. They had the right Bible. But they didn't believe in the right Son of God. They got it wrong with Jesus. And the Bible says, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Is that true? And so... Jesus said of them, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. It's like those that are in the Mormon tradition. And when you've made one, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. The four presidents of the Mormon church came to John MacArthur years ago and said, we believe that we are on the same page. That we are all Christians. We need to remove the divide. And so John MacArthur sat down with the four presidents of the Mormon church. And he says, let me ask you, tell me about your Jesus. And they said, well, Jesus is a created being, brother of Lucifer. He was offered the plan of salvation. Satan was offered to fulfill the plan of salvation, but he rejected it, so Jesus did it. And they begin to talk about how Jesus was not eternal, but He was created. He's not equal with the Father. And we can become as gods if we obey the... And, and, and He went down that road and He says, the difference is this. 
You have the same name, Jesus, but our Jesus are different Jesuses. And you may call Him God, but your God is a different God than my God. You understand, false religions will use the same name, but the definition behind that name can be very different. My name is Josh, and I, there's probably other Joshes in this room. There's different names in this room. You could have the same name, but different people. Is that right? So that's, that's a key essential. Islam has a Jesus. I've studied Islam. Hinduism has no problem accepting Jesus. If you, if you witness to a Hindu, they'll say, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'll accept him. And they add him with their million other gods. He's one way, there's one way. Friends, you, you must understand this. False prophets, false teachers are a real problem. They are an extreme danger. And some have the false notion that the gods of other religions are just another name for the true God. They'll, they'll say like, Allah, the God of Islam, is the, is the name of, of the true God just in their, in their language. It's, just a, it's the same God. They'll, they'll say, well, Buddha is the, is, is the same God as the God of the Bible. It's just a different name. And they've created in, 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 in the world this, this, this idea that's like this. It's a picture of an elephant that, that would be a picture of God. And over in, over in Asia, they're, they're holding the, the, the nose, the trunk of the, the elephant, and, and they begin to define God that way. And then in America, say, is the tail, and you're holding that, and you begin to find God like that. And then in, then in Africa, is like one of the feet, or in, 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 in and Europe is, is one of the others, and, and they begin to define God. It's the same God, you just define Him differently. That's what they say. That's actually the theology also of uh, uh, the well-known Oprah Winfrey, which I would advise never to build your theology off of. Is that true? What does the Bible say? Well, Deuteronomy 32 verse 17 says, they sacrificed unto devils, not to God, the gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came up newly whom your fathers feared not. The Bible calls the gods of other people groups and other religions devils. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 20 says, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. At best, false religion is a deception of man's heart. At worst, it is demons. And that's what's behind much of this. Satanic counterfeits. You need to understand during the seven year tribulation, Satan is going to use who God calls as the false prophet to deceive the world. He will be the right hand man of the Antichrist. He'll be the great spiritual leader. He will do signs and wonders. Where the Antichrist will be the great political leader of the world, the false prophet will be the great religious leader of the world. Revelation 13 defines him. He will have the ability to perform miracles. Revelation 13, 14 says, And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do. He also controlled trade and commerce. I know Klaus Schwab and those at the 2023 Economic World Forum would like to control the agenda of the world. Pardon me if I don't feel comfortable with that. But during the tribulation... The world will rally around this person. They will rally around the false prophet. He will require a spiritual commitment to the Antichrist. He will, he will control trade and commerce. He will troll the economies of the world. And you will not be able to buy or sell unless you had a mark on your right hand or your forehead. And the number is 666. So Jesus warns us here at the conclusion of the sermon... That there's only two pathways. That you must be discerning. The majority are on the wrong road. And it is narrow to enter into the way of life. And then he says be on high alert. Be on keen observation. Have your senses alerted to the number of false mouths. That will be alluring you into a false gospel. Into the path that leads to hell. 1 John 4.1 tells us, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We live in a day when people can become very upset if you point out that a certain group teaches something false. They, they look at you as though you're intolerant or mean-spirited, but actually you're being loving. Because doesn't love warn? 
Doesn't a loving parent tell his children, if you do that, that can destroy your life? That's not being intolerant. That's being a good dad and good mom. And it's being a good pastor when you stand up and you proclaim the warning of false religions. It's a good friend when they warn you. That's a wonderful thing to do. Now secondly, we see the disguise in, of the false prophets. The deception and disguise of the false prophets. How do they come to you? Well, it says they come to you in sheep's clothing. They don't come looking like a wolf, right? But they're like, hey... Uh, you, know, you, you guys have seen Little Red Riding Hood, right? Like something seems a little bit awkward about that mask you have on. Such big teeth there, sir. This sheep's clothing is not speaking of, of what the sheep were themselves wearing. It speaks actually of what the shepherd was wearing. So when, when this, these false prophets come, they're not trying to look like a sheep. They're trying to look like the shepherd. The shepherd wore sheep's clothing. MacArthur says, just as the ancient false prophets often wore the garments of the true prophets, so false shepherds often disguise themselves as true shepherds. Satan's man goes under the guise of God's man, claiming to teach the truth in order to deceive, mislead, and if possible, destroy God's people. Now, there are three kinds of false teachers in scriptures. They're called heretics, apostates, and deceivers. A heretic is one who openly rejects God's word. They teach directly against it. I mean, there are people all over Christendom that, oh, I don't believe in the Genesis account of creation. Oh, really? So you don't believe God made the world in six days and rested on the seventh? Well, I believe in the day-age theory. Oh, you think that matters? You think it matters if you don't get the Genesis account of creation right? Why would you believe the rest of the Bible? Amen? You know, ask yourself this. Why do you think the oldest thing on the planet is only around 4,000 years old. The Great Barrier Reef is around 4,000 years old. We have trees that are around 4,000 years old in their root systems. Why is the oldest thing around 4,000 years old? You want me to tell you? Because about 4,000 years ago, there was a worldwide flood, and it destroyed everything. If the world was billions of years old, I can tell you there would be things older than that. There's a whole lot of things that could be talked about. That's not the purpose of my sermon today. But there are people that teach heretical teachings. They, Kenneth Copeland, who teaches the little God doctrine. Some of these guys like Creflo Dollar and others on TBN, they'll say things like this. Kenneth Copeland said, when God says I am, I smile back and say, so am I. That's Kenneth Copeland direct quote. Those are pagan responses. They believe you're little gods. That's false. Heretics. And then there's those who are apostates. Those who once followed the truth, but now have turned away from the truth and they oppose it. People who once believed, but now they speak against it. And the third are what are called deceivers. These are false shepherds. False prophets. They are not cultish. They are not liberals. They will speak well of Christ, of the cross. They will speak of the Bible, the Holy Spirit. They get as close to the truth. These are the 99.9 percenters. 2 Corinthians 11.13 says, For such are false apostles, they're false. They're deceitful workers. They transform themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. These deceivers are often deceiving themselves. They, they many times believe their own deceptions. They're so twisted in their minds. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, where do they come from? Where do these people rise up from? Well, 2 Peter chapter 2 says this, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers, where does it say? Among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift, swift destruction. These false prophets did not rise simply among false religions, but they also rise up among God's own people. The phrase among you is, in your own midst. This was Paul's warning when he left the church at Ephesus after three years. In Acts 20, verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. I remember um, years ago, there was a guy in our church who, we used to have a church directory, and we'd put people's faces and contact and, and, and emails and stuff in there. 
and names, and, and he, he took all the uh, email addresses and sent them messages that he was preaching. He wasn't, we didn't let him preach here, teach here, because he wasn't qualified. He was still young, and, um, but he felt he had a message he wanted everybody to share, and he began to oppose the message of the church. Because he believed that you could lose your salvation and that you could be good enough to where you became perfect and sinless. So he began, and he sent this out to like 300 and some people. Well, somebody told me about it. He sent it out to everybody except for me. And, and, and a couple other, the, 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 the uh, pastoral leaders here. And um, so I, I got up that Sunday and said, I, you guys need to know that this individual sending this out. He's a false teacher. We reject him. Absolutely, publicly, let everybody know that is not part of us. Well, he ended up standing down on the street corner of our church and heralding how wrong we are with his bullhorn and doing those kind of things. And I remember there was a young man, what broke my heart most was there was a young man that had given his life to Christ in our church and his marriage was on the rocks and he had a couple of children. His wife was actually pregnant at the time. And I'd been counseling them for weeks and they were doing better. But this guy that I was counseling came underneath and was deceived to listen to this false teacher. And in that perfectionism that he was teaching, he was telling this guy, your wife is a devil in her, she's got a demon in her, and you need to rebuke the demon out of her. And, and this guy would go home and scream at his wife and yell and slam doors and talk to her like she's got a demon in her and trying to cast it out and being just insane. Needless to say, their marriage didn't last. So he produced no fruit, a broken marriage that's going to be on his, when he stands, if he's not going to stand before God based on his teachings. But those are damning heresies and it destroys people's lives. I remember one guy in our church began to study astrology and astronomy and he began to promote that to a certain individual at our church and this young lady had been saved and growing and serving and she started listening to him and getting pulled into those things. And I told her, I said, don't listen to that. Get away from that. And she got sucked in and now they both got out of our church. And that was a couple years ago. And I said, were you, um, were you, were you still smoking marijuana when God was revealing these these, these divine truths to you. He says, just for a little while, but I've been trying to get off of that. Okay. So God's going to give you new divine truth while you're smoking marijuana. And how, how do people follow that stuff? But it's incredible how, how strong people can get sucked in. And a lot of times it's people, I'm telling you, they, they, they will make you think they know the Bible better than anybody else. And they'll, they'll give you a different twist on Scripture and you'll say like, oh, I've never seen that before. Yeah, because nobody else has either. Because that's not what the Bible's saying. If, if, <laughs> if, if somebody shows you something that nobody else has ever seen before, you need to walk away from that. Okay? We're not teaching any new doctrines around Lighthouse. We're, we're bringing the old book and the old doctrine and the old truths. This is, this is what's been preached. Listen, uh, we're taking the baton that's been passed down from generation to generation and heralding the true gospel. That's our desire. Now, the, the nature of these false prophets, he says inwardly, they're ravening wolves. The word ravening speaks about um, wolves that, 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 that have an insatiable desire to take for their own gratification the, wolf, the, the sheep that are there. And in Palestine, wolves were the greatest danger to the sheep. And, and they're, they're, they're ravening wolves. They're, they're, and it speaks of false prophets who seek to represent Christ, but, but take people and use them for their own self-gratification in their own means. And that brings us to the final point. How do you identify true and false prophets? How do you identify them? Well, false prophets use orthodox language. They show biblical piety. They can almost be indistinguishable at times from true prophets. Jesus tells us there are some things that will reveal this throughout Scripture. It highlights some things. But he says here in verse 16, Ye shall epigonesco, 
you, you shall epi, which is an intensification of Ganesco, which means to fully know, like you'll know by experience. You will really know them by experience. You will fully know them. You'll fully be acquainted with them. You shall know them by their what? Yeah, you'll know them by their fruits. So let me give you three key ways that you can know them by their fruits. First of all, you can look at the fruit of their personal life. Are they faithful? Do they show integrity? Are they humble? Are they proud? Do they do questionable things? Do you see them jump from place to place? They're usually trying to get away from things that's following after them. One benefit of a long tenure as a pastor is, is you begin to know the pastor. The, the, the one benefit, I, I think it's good for senior pastors to, to stay in a location because in, unless the Lord leads and he can do those things, but I think it's important for people to be able to see that pastor, not just hear them preach, but to know their manner of life. To say, you know what, I've known that man for 5, 10, 15 years. I know them because I've seen them. I've seen their children. I've seen their family. I know who they are. 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul's last letter to Timothy says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. You've just seen it. But if I've only been here, say, Pastor Josh, I'd only been here for the last three months. I get up to preach. You guys would be like, I'm interested in hearing what he has to say, but you, would, you wouldn't know who I am. But as you've been here, you're like, now I know who that is. He's been in my home. He, he, he's counseled with our family. He's ministered to my kids. He's done our funerals. He's did the weddings. He's, we've been around. We know his family. We know them. Secondly, are they loved and accepted by the world? This is still under the first point of seeing their manner of life. But are they loved and accepted by the world? Luke 6, 26 says this. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. One thing about a false prophet is everybody in the world seems to also like them. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore the world, what? Yeah, so if everybody loves you, then there's probably a problem. Leonard Ravenhill said, if Jesus preached the same message that ministers preach today, he never would have been crucified. Are they covetous or are they content? Second Peter chapter 2, when Peter is writing about the false prophets of his day, listen to what he says in verse 3 and about the false prophets. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. So one of the root reasons false teachers are in the ministry is for the gain of money. They want to be rich. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, that you either serve God or you serve money. These guys are slick, deceitful. They use feigned words, as 2 Peter 2, verse 3 says. Feigned words comes from the Greek word plestos, where we get like, like making, molding, and forming clay. Like plaster, you, 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 you turn it and change it to what you want it to be. They, they form their words in such a way that it entices people in. And he says, and through that, they will make merchandise of you. That phrase is from a verb that literally means to travel, like a traveling businessman. To deal with or to trade or to make merchandise of. These false teachers don't care about the well-being of God's people, only to extort money out of them. They use God's people like a Ponzi scheme. Today we see this deception on TV, things like TBN. And I told the early service how much better the world would be without that channel. Where the truth of God has been corrupted. The deception starts with a mixture of truth. These false teachers in the charismatic Christian realm are deceitful and they use the enticements of money to allure people. I grew up in that for about 14 to 15 years of my life. I know what I'm talking about. This is very personal for me. And one of the greatest forefathers of this movement is Oral Roberts. His message of health and wealth spread to promoters. He even created like a place where he said, nobody will ever be sick there. Raised, I don't know how much, many millions of dollars. It was all a deceitful scheme. People who followed him are men like Kenneth Hagan, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, Ted Haggard. 
They have taught what is known as the seed faith principle, that if you sow a seed of money into their ministry, God will give you health and financial prosperity. Poor afflicted people, hoping to gain better physical health or financial gain, will give their money to these swindlers. And what is so heartbreaking, because I've talked to many missionaries, myself, from our church who minister overseas, that we support. They say, Josh, these guys come into the Philippines, into Africa, into some of the poorest regions, and they promise people health and wealth, and they come and they have nothing, and we see them give all their money to these guys. And they leave, and these people are left sick and destitute, and we're the ones cleaning up their mess. That's what these guys tell me. At one such setting, at a Benny Hinn healing thing, they brought like 20-some people in wheelchairs. Four of them came that were deathly ill, and they all died. They all died. There was actually a man, because this is such an irritation for me, who came down to the front to get healed by Benny Hinn. This is a true story. Benny Hinn's, one of his guys took the man brought him out back and tried to understand what he was saying. They became physical with the man, beat him up so bad the guy had to go to a hospital and they found out later he was both deaf and mute. That's why he could not communicate with them why he came. That's how sickening this is. These people will stand before Jesus Christ one day and I can tell you their fate will be eternally different than what they thought. Jesus never healed for money. You know one time Peter was actually offered money for healing and for the power of God. He was offered money. In Acts 8 verse 20, this is what Peter said. He said, thy money perish with you because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. And he lit that guy up. Yet on TBN, you hear them say things like, send your seed of faith, send your pledge, your money, and God will send you your healing. During one TBN praise-a-thon, Benny Hinn said, quote, I'm quoting directly, I believe that God is healing people while they're making pledge tonight. There are people getting healed, making a pledge. Make a pledge, make a gift, because that's the only way you're going to get your miracle. As you give, the miracle will begin. End quote. On average, his healing schemes bring in an estimated $100 million every year. $100 million every year. He is fleecing the people of God across the world. It blows my mind how people can believe that stuff. Remember when Creflo Dollar back in 2015 asked his church for a $65 million private jet? $65 million, and he got it. I I had somebody this week, I had somebody this week come to me and say, I have a loved one who will not come to church, do not believe the Bible, because uh, they've seen so much that money-hungry stuff on TV, they just can never, I can tell you, the ripple effect of this stuff, it's like a cancer, isn't it? Republican Senator, Republican Senator Charles Grassley of Iowa investigated Joyce Meyer because she was buying $23,000 toilets for her bathroom with tax-exempt church money. If you need a $23,000 place to use the bathroom, that's... Those in New Testament times who ministered for the love of money were denounced as false teachers. 1 Timothy 6, 5 Paul, speaking of false teachers, says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. So the first fruit that you look for is, what are they like personally? I mean, just, just examine their life. What, what's their manner of life? Just, just look at them. See how they live. Secondly, you can look at the content of their teaching. What is the fruit of their study? What are they producing with their teaching? Do they preach the true gospel is the first thing. Do they preach repentance of sin? The lordship of Christ, brokenness over our sinfulness. You know, Galatians 1, Paul says, even if an angel from God came preaching any other gospel unto you, let that angel be a curse to hell. 
Do they preach and teach the Word of God? Do they preach the full counsel of God? One thing a false preacher will do is give people very little truth. They rob people of the truth, according to Jeremiah 23, verse 30. God says it like this, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. They're robbing people from the truth. Is their message accepted by the world? Not only are they liked by the world, but is their message accepted by the world? And you know what? So often these false teachers, they, the world loves them. And they look for that as affirmation. 1 John 4, 5, and 6 says, They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And you get it, don't you? I mean, when you're sitting here, your, your spirit bears witness to the truth, doesn't it? I mean, your heart is like, I... I agree with God's word. I love that. Send five inches of snow, I'll still come to to hear God's word. You're drawn to the word of God. and, and, And when you hear it, you don't get, it doesn't put a distaste in your mouth. It's not annoying. You're like, I love preaching on repentance. I love the lordship of Christ. I love being humbled by God's word. I don't want pride in my life. I love being challenged to evangelize, to live a sanctified life. You're drawn to that. You're not drawn away. But I can tell you, friends, you, you go into a, a false teaching church. They, I was asked um, when I first came to Xenia to go speak at this thing where there's a lot of different churches at and preachers. I gave the clearest message of salvation I could give in challenge of sharing the gospel. And I had several of those pastors in there so angry with me. And I thought, this is why I don't want to be a part of this kind of a group. I don't, I don't want to be a part of those who don't even know the gospel. They need evangelized. And there's other faithful churches in this area. Praise God. Amen. We're not the only church that preaches the gospel. But, but, but there are some that don't even know it. But it also, is their message scripture light or, and story heavy? You ever been to a church like that? It's like, are they going to get to a verse yet? The, the, the pastor kind of comes in and he'll talk to you for about 15, 20 minutes. And their sermon only goes for about 25. You're like, is there, you going to put any meat on them bones? I mean, give me something. You know why we always have you stand and read? Because the primacy is there. That's where we start and it's where we'll end. Where else do we go? When a guest preacher comes, you expect him to preach the word. Right? When he opens the Bible, you usually stand and he's like, oh, okay, go ahead and stand. We'll go ahead and read. I mean, it's like this because we, 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 we have a reverence for this book. This, is, this isn't man's word here. Uh, do, do they seem to fear the world more than God? Do they seem to seek to be accepted by the world more than Christ? Today, many pastors and churches are afraid to offend the world. They're, they're afraid to say the word hell or holiness or repentance, sexual sins such as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and transgenderism. Like you can't say those out loud. Really. A church should have a good testimony. I believe in a community. I think, I think people should see Lighthouse and say, you know what, that is a loving church, a gracious church. But they should also say that's a church that stands on the truth. And, 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 and it's going to be offensive. You know, we don't want to be offensive for the sake of being offensive, but we, we don't want to shy away from the truth, right? And so James 4.4 4 says that friendship of the world is enmity with God, and, and James considered it spiritual adultery to seek to align yourself with the world. Is their message man-centered or Christ-centered? Is their message more focused on you or on God? Is their message about how you can live your best life now or how you can die to yourself to live for Christ? Is their God more focused on blessing us physically, seeking us to have uh, like physical prosperity or seeking us to be pure and, and holy? Uh, is, is that church and that pastor more focused on your happiness or your holiness, your acceptance or your repentance? Do their services seem to be more geared toward entertainment of men over the glory of God. Paul said in the last 
statement of his life in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. He told young preacher Timothy, said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will, after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Do they preach that God will bless you no matter what? Jeremiah 23, 17 This was a plague of false teachings in the Old Testament where they would keep saying, you know, uh, we despise God, but God's going to bless you anyway. He is for you. You're a winner with God and just just believe it. Say it and it'll happen. That's actually that, that, that speaking truth into existence. That is a mystical teaching that came out of pagan religion. Is their message focused more on money and materialism or on the truth of God's word? And then thirdly, I would, I would say this. You can look at the fruit, not only of their personal life, the fruit of like, like what are they saying? What do they teach? And then the fruit of their ministry. What I mean by that is like, what, what are they producing? Like when you look at their, their ministry, like what, hap- what, what, are they, what are they creating? Do people who sit under them understand the gospel? Like if you went to the people that sat under their churches and you said, what is the gospel? Could they define it? It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do I get saved? You must repent of your sins, trust in Jesus as Lord, believe the gospel, believe in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. If you ask them, how do you get to heaven? Would they be able to give you the answer? Let me ask you this. Think about the church that you came out of or that you grew up in. If you were asked the question, how does a person get to heaven in that church you grew up in, would they, would they have been able to tell you? Would you have been able to answer that? I mean, I, I've, talked to, I've talked to hundreds of people from multiple different kind of denominations out there. And in some certain groups, you could, you could ask every, I, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of Catholics. Not one of them have ever looked at me and said, you must trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Hundreds I've talked to have told me, I don't know what I would say to that. So I know that that teaching is false. It's not only false because of what they're producing, but it's also false because I know their doctrine. I know Catholicism more than most Catholics do. I've studied it quite a bit. And so just, just know that you, you look at that and say, do they know the gospel? We've had, we've had people who've come out of some mega churches, and some mega churches are preaching the gospel, praise God for that, but there are some that are just making people feel good, having a concert and slapping on the back and having a good week, right? And, and we've had people come in and they don't have a clue what the gospel is. Well, tell me when you got saved. Well, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I asked him to save me. Well, what's the word repentance mean? I don't even know what that, I've never heard of that. You, you, you know what lordship of Christ, have you, you, you ever surrendered the Lord of Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? Well, what's that mean? just because the church they went to never talked about sin, therefore you would never repent of what they don't talk about, right? You just made some mistakes, but you're on God's team. Pray this church-wide prayer at the end with me. Does the fruit of their ministry produce people who love others as themselves, or does it produce people who love themselves? Does the fruit of their ministry produce humble people who are broken over their sin? And therefore, they're easy to forgive others. Or do they produce prideful people with self-righteous, unforgiving spirits? Do, do their ministry produce a church that looks like Christ or a church that looks like the world? Do they produce people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, which flows to outward obedience? Do they, love, do, do they live a surrendered life to the Lordship of Christ? And, and, and just ask some of these questions, and, and you'll begin to see it. You'll see it. Do they love the lost? Do they love people? And let me give you a couple other keys. Not only examine their fruit, as Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit, their personal life, their teaching and ministry, but, but also to, to avoid deception, you have to build your life on the truth. Acts 20 verse 31 says this. Paul says, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the what? And the word of his grace, not tradition, not, not ecumenicalism, not, nothing to the word of his grace. The word is what builds us up, right? And is able to give you an inheritance. To the law and to the testimonies, the Old Testament says. And then, and then also have true godly examples. Preachers, teachers, mentors in your life. People that have been in the faith for decades. People that you could say, you know what? I've seen their manner of life. I've seen how they, you know, 
I've been studying this and I'm not sure about this. You know, Pastor Josh, what would you say? And you would go to people that are deeper. They've been saved longer. And you could go to somebody. We have many of those men and women in our church. You could go to them and say, hey, I had some questions about this. You know, what do you think? I don't want to get steered in the wrong direction. Paul says in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. You have an us for an example. Have those godly examples. And so, as I conclude, in a world of religious deception, you have to stay in the word. False teachers are known by their fruits. You will know them because they preach a man-centered message instead of a Christ-centered message. Remember Rod, Rod Bell up in Michigan? He wrote a book called Love wins. And he began to deny the reality of hell. They will make light of sin. They will make light of God's holiness. They asked Joel Olstein the question, why don't you preach on sin? He says, because everybody already knows they're sinners. They don't need to hear that. They need to hear good stuff. You think America knows they're sinners? <laughs> What world are you living in? If there is ever a day we need to be called to repentance, is it not now? Beware when you hear a preacher speak lightly about sinful things who use vulgar words, vulgar statements, who talk openly about sexual matters. Beware when you hear a preacher boast of material possessions who speak of their prosperity financially as the hand of God being on them and who entice people to follow them as a way to get wealthy. Beware when a preacher elevates themselves as being some great unique messenger who acts as though they have insights into God's truth that no one else has. New revelation from God. Beware when a preacher never preaches on sin, repentance, hell, and the holiness of God. Be cautious when the preacher has the appearance of materialism and whose life is surrounded by materialism. Beware of the minister who is too friendly with ladies, especially too touchy and feely with them and who counsel attractive women privately. Beware when the preacher focuses his own message on, uh, on you more than on Christ who speaks of himself more than he does scripture. Beware of the minister who falls into grave and sin and is now back in the ministry. God can forgive and restore, but if they have fallen once, they can fall again and again. I would say beware. Beware. A New York City couple received through the mail two tickets to a smash Broadway hit. Oddly, the gift arrived with no note. They, they wondered who had sent it, but they thought, man, this is a great opportunity. So they took the uh, tickets and enjoyed the show immensely. When they returned to their apartment, they discovered that their two-bedroom apartment had been ransacked. Valuable furs, jewels were all missing. On the pillow was written a note that simply said this, Now you know. Like that nameless thief, a false teacher knows what people want. It appeals to their desires. He doesn't wear a lapel pin that says, I'm a false teacher. But he comes telling people what they want to hear. He tickles their ears. He uses just enough truth to keep them in. But they're not diligent. If they don't beware, they can fall to his deceptive ways. Friends, in a day where deception is like a plague of cancer across this nation. If there's ever a day we need the Word of God, it's today. Amen. Today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to come and be saved. You need to come and give your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only two paths you can be on. The straight gate and the, that leads to eternal life and the broad path that leads to eternal destruction. I'll be down front. We'll have men and women in the front. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today you can come and be saved. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing you could ever do? If you're here today, maybe you're struggling with some questions, some, some concerns. Maybe there's some doubts and, and, and Satan will stir up doubts and believers' minds cause you to doubt things. Why don't you come today and make that a matter of prayer? God, give me clarity. Give me truth. I don't want to be led in deception. I don't want to be led in some false way. And so pray for wisdom. Pray for guidance. Whenever uh, different things, different teachings or anything comes into your heart and mind. With YouTube, there's probably somebody every week who comes to me and says, Pastor, can you watch this three-hour thing and tell me what you think? And I'm like, no, I can't spend three hours looking at that, but I can tell you. Get in your word. Amen. Don't spend three hours on a video when you can, haven't spent 30 seconds in the word of God this week. And all God's people said... And so, if you don't know Christ today, why don't you come? If you have a burden on your heart, why don't you come, my friend? Let's all stand as we pray.
The altar's open. You're welcome to come. If you need to make a spiritual decision today, we invite you to come. Father, we thank you for your word today. It is our joy. It is our wisdom. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. God, I pray right now that in this room and even watching online, anyone that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today they might come and be saved. I pray that your Holy Spirit would grip hearts. God, I pray that you would bring people clarity, that you would open eyes of the blind. God, I pray that you would give us spiritual sight. God, I pray that you would protect us from the enemy, from deception. Be glorified in all that's said and done. We give you this time now and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.